This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore. And I am Haley Stoddart, and today we have a very special guest, actor, author, and master of ceremonies extraordinaire, Mr. Stephen Lance. Welcome aboard, Stephen. Well, thank you. Permission to come aboard. Permission granted. Thank you very much. <laughs> I want you to know that I'm in full uh, full dress uniform, the, the old uniform from the TOS. Oh, good. I, I'm, just, I'm just in my uh, Captain Kirk workout clothes here. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> No, that's okay. I got my communicator in my hand and uh, phaser set to stun. Excellent. Stun. Good policy. See, stun first, <laughs> ask questions later. But, uh, exactly. so Stephen, it's, exactly. it's great to talk to you, man. I, I, we we kind of connected over, over Twitter, and this is a whole new kind of chapter of Star Trek history that a lot of fans, especially younger fans like myself, are not aware of. And you have a great history with Star Trek conventions and uh, appearing in Star Trek The Motion Picture, and we're going to get into all, all of that with you. Today. But let's let's take you back before before we get into that. Let's let's go back to a time when you were watching Star Trek on television. You just found it for the first time. You're sitting at home, like you with. How did you discover? Like with your parents or by yourself, or how did you first come into contact with Star Trek? Is, is this when the screen gets all wavy for a second, and then we go into the yeah? yeah you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's it's a little bit like walking walking through that you know through the the portal you know. Uh, of tomorrow, right? Yes, um, yes. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend in, in high school. I'm a little bit older than you folks. And so Star Trek was probably maybe in the in the second season already. This was maybe 19, this is like 1967. Mm-hmm. And he was the neighborhood geek. And he was raving about this show called Star Trek that we all had to see. And, and I said to myself, if, if this if Tommy likes it, did I don't want any part of it. So I didn't. I actually, I intentionally did not watch it. I intentionally did not watch it. And and one day I came down. My dad is a scientist, a chemist, and I came down and he had it on. He didn't watch a lot of TV, but it caught his interest. No kidding. And there's uh, on the screen. I don't remember which episode. I guess I'd have to do a lot of calculations to find out when that was. And it's a typical bridge scene. And I didn't know the show or who anybody was. And and it was uh, really interesting to see all the bright colors because, you know, television back then, 
there wasn't the Miami Vice pastels. Everything was red, blue, green, yellow, <laughs> you know, the, the only colors they, they could reproduce. And they were talking on the bridge and everybody, I, I saw Mr. Spock. I remember seeing, seeing Spock and, and he had these pointed ears. I'm, I'm 13 years old, 12, 13 years old. And, and I see the, the, the pointed ears and these mean, you know, sardonic eyebrows. And I remember asking, I actually remember asking my dad, is he nice? And my dad said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, everybody that's talking to him seems to like him, except the guy that talks like a cowboy. And that was my first introduction to <laughs> McCoy, of course, for those, right. for those kids who don't know, uh, we're making fun of Dr. McCoy, who played cowboys, including uh, young, uh, young Bob Kitteridge on an episode of the original Lone Ranger with Clayton Moore, my idol and someone I actually got to talk to once, but that's, that's for another show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I saw that, I saw the episode and regarding what Tommy had said, uh, I was hooked and watched the rest of the episode and then made sure that I saw everyone after that. What's interesting, Zach, and, and is that I can't believe that it was only eight years later. Imagine being a kid watching Star Trek and seeing these characters that you love and only eight years went by from the time I was 13 to the time I actually met these people, became their friends, and then was actually working in a motion picture with them. That, that's, it's, it's almost hard for me to fathom when I look at the number of years that went through was so short from being a kid to being on the set of Star Trek The Motion Picture. I'm pretty uh, excited to have had that opportunity. And I do want to zero in on one thing you mentioned. I find it fascinating, no pun intended, that you were curious about Spock and if he was a good guy or bad guy because he had that, you know, traditionally kind of satanic appearance. You know, with the I mean, they even joke about it on the show a couple of times. Like, well, is there someone on the ship that resembles the devil, Mister Spock? Yeah, there's any, right, is there anybody on the ship that re slightly resembles a devil? Yeah, right. Is, is that a Kirk line? I think. Yeah. Yes. But you know, I can get why you, you would be aware, uh, intimidated and, you know, by that. Yeah, yeah, and none that I'm aware of, Captain. Was yeah, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's so 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 let's get in, let's get into that uh, that journey to to rubbing shoulders and elbows and becoming friends with with the cast here. So so you, how, what what is your first experience at a Star Trek convention? Like, did you seek it out? Did you just happen to? Oh, there's a Star Trek convention on today. Like like, how did you come across your first convention as an attendee, and how where did it go from there? It was by accident. There apparently was a Star Trek convention in 1972. I didn't attend that. That was the, that was the first one, the small one that was run mm -hmm. by Joan Winston and, and the group that they called the committee. And they had that same year another convention group, and I believe they're still around, called Lunacon. I don't know if Haley has heard of it or anybody else in your audience that they have. It was Lunacon. And all we knew was that it was a science fiction convention and there was going to be an astronaut there and they were going to talk and show some science fiction films. And I said to my friend, Barry, we've got to go to New York City. I lived in New Jersey and said, you know, it's an hour from here, you know, by bus, not a big deal. Let's go in and, and see that. And at the Lunacon, which was a really neat convention, there were flyers for something called a Star Trek convention, which was coming up several months in advance of that, that convention. I said, Oh, we, we got to go to this and you know, we're going to get to meet the, the, the cast and the things. And, and, uh, we did. And at that convention, which was 1973, we, uh, went to the, 
But in the costume ball, they also had a talent show section. Mm-hmm. And you could you know, recite a poem about Star Trek or, or do a song if you had written, you know, a, a little song about it, you know, the show or one of the characters. And my friend Barry egged me on. He said, Steve, you know that, that thing you do at the lunch table? And, and, and this is back in high We were already in college, by the way, at this time. But this was back in high school. We had gone to together. And I used to sit around the lunch table and just throw out, you know, hey, give me another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I can't do a thing with it. You know, that kind of, I would just goof around at lunch. You know, I can't eat it. It's stuck in my throat. So, and, and I would just do this, Scotty. Oh, oh well, I have it. I, 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 I didn't have the peanut butter, you know, send it down on a long rope with a pot of coffee. I, I. So I would just oh my. throw out these, you know, oh my. It's right. That's so easy. You know, I don't, I, I don't even do the oh my because everyone else does. It's, it's too cliche, hey, I do right? Sulu. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I do Sulu. And, and, and I'm a voice artist. I'm a, professionally is what I do. And there are about a thousand voices I do, but really only about 12 or 15 that I can do consistently for narration or cartoons or, mm. or video games. The other ones, like I do, I'll give an example. I do uh, Sean Connery from Diamonds Are Forever. And, and he, it's the only line that I do of Connery. So if a director said, can you do Connery? I'd say, uh, well, I uh, smelled that off the shape before and both times I smelled the rat. that. That's my Sean Connery. But that's all I do. That's all I do. The other, that's the only, so when people say I do impressions, I go, okay, that's great. You did the, you know, the line from, from Diamonds Are Forever. Can you do another line? Yeah. Can you, yeah. and, and, and I can't, and I admit that. So I, right. I know what voices I can do. And Scotty and Sulu and, and of course, you know, you know, Mr. Chekhov, I do all of those consistently enough to be able to, to maintain the character for as long as need be, on camera, off camera, whatever. So right. I do Sulu. I met George as a fan when at that first convention, we're digressing for a moment. It's a nice story. And That's I was what we do here in Standard we, we take tangents oh, yeah. all the time. No worries. <laughs> it was, it's a, it was a, you know, the old cassette recorder. I was working for the school newspaper and I mm. actually got up to interview, you know, Mr. Sulu. And I go, Mr. Mr. Takai, it's such a pleasure to meet you. He goes, it's a decay. Like, okay. That was the first moment that I spoke to George. And, uh, remember that so anyway so we went to this convention and ba- barry egged me on to go on stage and, and do this routine that i wasn't really a polished to stand in front of the brick wall routine you know but it was it was funny and i got up on stage and i was wearing a tie a blue blazer and gray slacks because we went to a private high school uh, you know prep school and that's what we thought we should dress everybody else is wearing you know uh, dressed like Andorians or, you know, <laughs> whatever. And uh, I, was, I went on stage with a tie and a jacket, essentially. And you, you went as Gary routine, Seven, which, apparently. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I went on stage and did this routine, which I later named If We, because of the way Shatner or Kirk hesitates. And, and there was a 45 RPM record that got cut and, and produced later, later on. It was like, if we could. I would miss, you know, it's that, and there's the if we. So I did this routine, and have you, or Haley, have you, have you ever been sitting in a chair a real long time working on the computer and have your leg fall asleep? You know what that oh, feels yeah. like? Oh, yeah. you know, that, that, the, the, imagine, imagine your whole body feeling like that. That's how I felt on stage. I was apparently being funny, and, and they were laughing, but I heard that, that, that faint echoey kind of laugh, you know, like it was surreal, like I really wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And but I'm saying funny stuff and they're laughing and I just keep making up stuff and doing the characters like Mr. Scott, give me warp factor eight. 
I can only give it a bar factor seven, sir. The engines are going to blow. Why don't you do the same? You know, and I would just <laughs> keep making stuff up like that. <laughs> and eventually ran out of material and said, thank you very much. Hey, see you. Be and sure to tip your waitress. I remember and, and try the you know and try the veal early in the week you know <laughs> so so I jump off stage and I said to to my friend Barry who was waiting there I said Barry I won I'm I'm going to get the prize and I don't even know what the prize was maybe yeah. free passes to the next convention or a, a stuffed tribble I, I don't really remember what the prize was but you know you're you're a kid a freshman in college and I you know I won so uh, they said I'm sorry uh, we had to disqualify you. I said, what? Now, don't forget, this is my, my first time on stage. He go, why did you disqualify me? He said, said, uh, I said, I was killing out there. I said, well, it's a three-minute time limit, and you went six minutes. I said, well, why, why, didn't you, why didn't you stop me? And then she said, because you were killing out there. And, and for the fans who, who don't know showbiz lingo, killing means you're, you're being really funny. You're entertaining the audience. <laughs> right. you know, you're, really, you're knocking them over. So, so it's like, I, I said, wait a minute. Then why did you stop? He said, because everybody else pretty much sucked and you were entertaining them. They paid, you know, $25 to come. Imagine that $25 and, you know, for three days, he said three days. So, wow. you know, we wanted them to have a good experience and you were entertaining them. So we can't give you the prize. However, how would you like to be on the program next year? Okay. Now that's exciting. Now I'm going to get one of those ribbons that say guest. And, and I started negotiating as a freshman in college, negotiating. I'd never been really in show business before. I'd done some local radio. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, tell you what, if you've ever been to conventions, and I know that you and, and your listeners all, all have, there's multiple things going on. There's, a, there's a, a room where the set designer might be speaking or the makeup artist is in another room. And then there's going to be the dealer's room. And then there's the big room where the main cast you know, appear. And that's where all the news media is. And I right. the, the, the Hall H of San Diego Comic Con as it is in these days. Okay, They're, they call it the Hall H. You know, it, it, back in those days, it was at the Commodore Hotel in New York City, the Grand Ballroom. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Look, okay, I want to be okay. I'll do it. You are, are you going to pay me?" They said, "You know, no, but uh, we'll give you free <laughs> tickets." Okay, fine, great. You know, get free tickets. I want to be in. I want to be on the big stage in the Grand Ballroom, introduced by the master of ceremonies, and 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 I'll do it. I'm negotiating. So they go, okay, fine, that's fine. Okay, great. Now, now I'm excited, telling my friends I'm going to be on the show. I'm going to be introduced by the master ceremonies. I'm really pumped. Nearly a year goes by between that convention and when the next one was coming up. Right. I was going to, you know, appear on, and they call me just a couple of weeks ahead of time and say, uh, "Sorry, Steve, there's there's going to be a a change." So, well, what do you mean? They said you're not going to be introduced by the master ceremonies. I said, "Now, come on, this was that was the deal." I was not getting paid. You're giving me a hotel room. I'm going to be on the big stage. No, wait, 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 wait. Slow down. What, what, what are you talking about? You're not going to be introduced by the master of ceremonies because he quit. We don't have anyone to host the program. We thought you were pretty funny. Would you like to host the show? We will actually pay you, and you'll, you'll be you know, running the, the convention. So you will not be introduced by the master of ceremonies. Because everybody say it together, you will be the master, master of ceremonies. The master of ceremonies. There you go. <laughs> we, we should have rehearsed. We should have rehearsed that. That timing was way off the call. Anyway, so I got to be the master of ceremonies, and apparently I was funny enough and entertaining enough to uh, be asked to do the next one and the next one and the next one. And that gig 
went on for eight years for a total of about 12 conventions because some years there was there's was actually multiple conventions mostly new york city also philadelphia and atlanta georgia and those were the conventions before between the series being canceled and them getting the green light for star trek the motion picture so right. i was there for every convention heard every story and knew what was going on in star trek fandom because there wasn't much of an internet back in 1974 75 you know so, 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 so steve i've i have some bad news for you about lunicon What's that? I, I i looked What's it up that? and 2017 was the last year of lunicon 2018 as <sighs> of this year it will not be held anymore. Oh, oh, that stinks because I was hoping the Lunacon guys would hear me on Trek FM and, and hire me. So listen, thank you very much, you, Haley. I'm going to go now. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I knew I should have saved that to the end. <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyway. Well, anyway, now we're going to I'm sorry for them because it, if it were not for Lunacon, I wouldn't be talking to you folks on the phone today. So I have, I have great, a great love and, and admiration for for what they did all those years. Thank you, Lunacon. That is quite a prize to become uh, the master ceremonies of the next convention. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if anybody knows this, but I actually, I, I had a, I was at a talent show at a Star Trek convention once. I was, uh, I was three uh-huh. yeah. years old, and I was in a Star Trek costume cool. that my mom helped make for me, Next Generation, season one, season two. Uh, and I got up there and I hummed the Star Trek Next Generation theme, and because I was a cute little kid, apparently I won first place. So. Did you so get that? Did you get to host a convention after that? I did not. Though that, I got like a purple <laughs> ribbon and a pat on the head, and I sent on my way. So it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Always, I guess it does always work. And, and I, no. I somehow sometimes I lament. You know that. I mean, I love that you you are you know asking me to be on the air, and I love talking about this. But uh, I'm a working actor, but I'm not a I'm not a star, and I and I know that, and when I hear these stories about the overnight successes, I, I sometimes don't take, take it to heart that I was an overnight success in, in some small way. Had, had those things not happened in those sequences, I would not have ever been talking to you today because only by accident that Barry made me go up and do the routine that they put me on the program that the host canceled. You know, I mean, all, all you, even Mr. Spock would have trouble calculating the odds. I mean, what, <laughs> what do you say the odds are? Well, I'd say there were 4,326,000 to one captain. Well, they're getting better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that, that, the that, cat's that paw. is... Yeah, the cat's paw. The cat's paw quote. Yes, of course. I mean, the, the, the famous, well-regarded fan favorite, cat's paw. Uh, so that is quite a journey. You know, so then you find yourself being a master of ceremonies at these Star Trek conventions. And this is when, like, fandom is at its height. There's, there's a hunger there, you know, from our Star Trek. The, the cast is coming out. Like, the whole cast... You know, from from Shatner on down, are coming out of these conventions, and you actually, you know, you got to s- spend time with these people and, and get and get to know them o- over over your time it being was, the master summaries there, huh? They they were all wonderful, and they they were open to to fandom. It was there was nothing like this before. You know, people take this Comic Con, which is just a marvelous a marvelous thing. I'm so glad that this has taken off the way it has, but this was before that. No one knew about. A convention it had Joan Winston Joni started it because she was a fan of Star Trek the show was canceled she by the way was a contract uh, negotiator for ABC television and and so she didn't even work for NBC had nothing to do with the network she just really liked the show and thought it'd be neat for her and some friends to get together and, and invite you know one or two of the cast members to, to get together and 300 people showed up at the first one and that's how 
that's how it started. So it's it's all grown and snowballed, if you will, by itself. It's grown by itself. And what happened, the change happened. I worked for, for Joan Winston and that original group for, I think, only one, maybe two conventions. And then they realized that, like, like uh, Steve Martin did in the movie The Jerk when he was, you remember, he behind the counter and he's giving away the, the rubber, you know, the rubber eraser and the, the ruler and and then Mr. You know, Havnanian told him, that this is a, a for profit. You've given away $2 worth of junk, and, and we've made $25. And he says, oh, it's a profit thing. And, and that's what they realized <laughs> with Star Trek. So once they realized that it wasn't just a fan thing and fun to do, it became a business. So the group that was the original committee split and decided to have two their own conventions. And the one group run by Al Schuster which was the bigger group, the, uh, the international Star Trek conventions was the ones that like me. And I hosted all their conventions until it got taken over by TriStar industries uh, and a fellow named John Townsley. God bless him. He's passed away. People know him. So that's uh, that's the, the progression of those conventions. One thing I, we were talking about the actors being open mm. to people. And, and let me tell you, they, Walter would, would walk, he would, Walter, I would have to tell you, Walter Koenig I'm talking about, is, is, is the voice of reason. Glad that he was proven wrong, but at every convention there was this rally and rah-rah, like, we're going to bring Star Trek back, it's going to be a new series, and it didn't happen. And then we're going to bring Star Trek back, it's going to be like the mystery wheel uh, of, on, on CBS where Columbo and McMillan and wife, like once a month we'll do a 90-minute episode, and that way we'll have more time and more money. And that didn't happen. And and Walter would get on stage and people would say, oh, we heard about, you know, they asked him questions from the audience. And people would say, oh, is there going to be a new Star Trek show? There... He goes, he says, it's been, you know, eight years since showing off the air. It, it, it's just, it's not going to happen. And he was, I believed at the time, the voice of reason. He was legitimately saying what he felt, that it had been too long since the series had been canceled to, to where we were then. It was 1969 when the last episode was made and this was now 1975 76 whatever those conventions whichever one he said it at and and i always said you know walter you're you're being honest and he would hang out at the hotel he'd go down to the restaurant or, or the bar to have have you know a sip of uh, a russian uh, you know a russian invention you know the, yeah, of course right vodka, vodka, <laughs> vodka, vodka. and and uh, the fans would would go down there and he'd sit with them and talk and and all all the other actors did pretty much the same they were very accessible i guess is the way to say it that's great which was wonderful um i of course had had special access to them because you know oh the big deal remember i wanted the ribbon with my name guest on it because that meant that you were part of the show hmm. you know you were a guest and then then i saw like gene ronbury came to convention and he didn't have one and then shatner came and he didn't have one so the goal was at that point in that first convention was i want to eventually not have to wear the ribbon because then i'd be well <laughs> enough known that i don't so so not keep moving one. those goalposts, having new goals. That's great. Right. Moving the goalposts. Well, it, it, which, which is like a story that was told at a convention by somebody who owned a bookstore in San Francisco and said that Ray Bradbury was a lovely gentleman. And whenever he was in town, he'd come into the bookstore quietly and go to the back because that's where the science fiction paper books, you know, paperbacks were. And, and, and Ray Bradbury would go to the back, pull out his pen, take his books off the shelf and inscribe them. And 
you would actually be able to go to the bookstore. And he did this apparently all over the country whenever oh, he wow. traveled. He'd go to a local bookstore and inscribe them, and you'd, you'd pay, you know, four ninety five for a paperback and get a, an autograph by, you know, Ray Bradbury. And he said the joke was that he did it so much that having an unsigned Bradbury is worth more. <laughs> I have to go check my Ray Bradbury books now. See, there's a signature there Ray somewhere. If, if it's got a signature, if it's got a signature, it's not worth anything. But if it's, yeah, if it's blank, you, you, you might be able to sell that on on, on eBay. Nice. So, so though, everybody was accessible, but I left out one name: hmm. William Shatner. William Shatner. Bill didn't want to hang out with the fans. And didn't want to walk around the hotel and have them clamor him for autographs and things. If you've seen this new show that he's doing, which is so terrific, you know, it, it, one he does with Henry Winkler, and, and it's just a great show. Oh, yeah. And George yeah, I'm, Foreman. I'm, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. So, yeah. No, 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 it, no that's not that. It, it's, no. Uh, um, it, it's, uh, oh, what is it? I, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. My too. I can't. Everybody it, should go check it out. No, <laughs> no, go go Google it. I'm going to anyway, look it up. You, so you keep talking. On that, on that show, he, he, the other actors, Henry Winkler, George Foreman, when they were with groups of people, will be glad they pose for a picture or sign an autograph, and, and Bill won't. And he's just being a real curmudgeon. And back in those convention days, although he was nice to me, people go, was he nice? Yeah, he was great. But don't forget, I was the host of the show. I was I was in the inner circle. I had the all access pass. So those people, of course, are are elevated uh, to a different level than the fans. I'm not saying I'm better than the fans, but I served a different role in the conventions than the mm. fans. Makes and sense. as a result, as a result, I could sit and have lunch with anyone and talk to them and, you know, like that. So Bill didn't want that. So he stayed at another hotel. And. The hardest part of my job, and also the most fun and probably what, what helped me launch my career better, was the fact that Bill was at another hotel, and when it was time for him to go on, they had to go get a cab or a limo to retrieve him, bring him down the street, and I don't know which hotels and the difference, you know, but there's going to be a number of blocks in New York City traffic that you need to travel to get to the other convention hotel. And, of course, he was always late. Because stuck in traffic, you know, whatever, something was going on. And my job turned out to fill the time. And I used to have to do that, that Star Trek routine and then talk to the audience. And, and that's where I kind of ingratiated myself to the fans and, and, and got close to a lot of those fans. Some of them I, I have passed away. And I, I mean, I stayed friends with some of these fans, were, which were as important to me as, as the actors themselves. Mm. And Bill would, you know, would always be great when he came on stage but that that period of time that i had to fill got to be difficult and this went on for years mm -hmm. this really tall comedy guy he was doing stand-up comedy in new york really tall kind of guy wanted to do uh he said so see put me on i'll put something on and his, i said i didn't like i didn't want to put him on because this is it's between between the three of us okay, okay. Only, uh, we, don't, we don't tell anyone he, um he was he was funnier than me. He was he was really funnier. <laughs> than me. And 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 be, and because of that, I didn't want to put him on. His his name was Rick Overton. Okay. Do you know that name? He was one of the brownies in Willow with Ron Howard. He oh. was the dopey guy with he was the he was the dopey guy with the earmuff hat in in the the, the Bill Murray movie that uh, the Groundhog Day. And 
he won an Emmy as one of the writers on the Gary Sandling uh, Shandling show. That's say that three times fast. The Gary, Gary Shandling show. show. Gary Shandling and, show. And I saw him get his I saw him get his Emmy. And you know we you know we we never were not friends. But I don't know that that Rick ever knew that I tried to not put him on stage. But there were times <laughs> when I just I was I was out of it, and I, I I'm out of material, and I put him on, and of course he, as we said earlier, he killed. He was hysterical. Uh, one routine I remember that he did, he would do a King Kong routine and pretend he was King Kong. He'd sit on the stool like it was the Empire State Building, and he used a microphone very well the way he did it. And, he, you know, he'd go, <laughs> you know, like the airplanes flying by. Right. And he'd reach out, and then he takes the microphone and then start, does the sound effect and starts to shave with the microphone like it's a, like an electric shaver. Right. And it was, it was great, and I, I hate him for that. <laughs> but, but he, uh, I, I I try to watch Groundhog Day o- every couple years uh, on Groundhog Day, so yeah. it's one of my favorite movies. So I'll keep an eye out for him next time I, I see. Yeah, him. keep an eye out for him. He's he's one. He's a dopey guy in the bar that they pick up and they're going to drive home. And he's oh right, the okay. Hat with it, with he's the hat with the earmuffs in the car. You know okay. when when they're going to go over the with, over the railroad tracks. And right. No, I, I remember it well. That's yeah. Rick, and that's Rick Overton, and he was one of the brownies uh, characters in the in the Ron Howard Willow. Okay. So uh, he's done. He's done okay for himself, and and, and bless him, uh, much continued success. Because in show business, unless you look exactly like somebody or sound exactly like somebody, uh, you're not in any competition. Uh, I didn't. I didn't get. I did a Woody Allen film. I played a doctor in a Woody Allen movie. Was I a great actor? You know, I'm not a name, so they didn't use me because I was a name. No, I looked like what Woody Allen thought an emergency room intern should look like. Had I been <laughs> taller or blonder. I have dark hair, you know, had I been taller or blonder or shorter or fat, then I wouldn't got the role. Not because I wasn't a competent actor, just because you don't look the part. And so, you know, I'm in no competition with, with Rick and, and most of the people in the business. So that's, uh, people should know that it, there's, there's not this infighting that you think there is. Yeah. They, they look for other actors. We always read about who was going to be cast in a role and who got cast, but there's so many so many different reasons why that why that happens. But if you're on the, you know the the B list or the C list, you know it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You're just a working a working actor, which which I am. And um, I'm up for a part now in a TV show uh, called Arthur for Churro, and it's going to be either a teacher or a parent for this kid who talks to his future self, who tells him how to change things in the future. And so he's a kid that somehow met his future self that tells him how to change things in the present. So that you know the world's a better place. Oh, okay. Now, am I going to get? Am I going to? It sounds really cool. Am I going to get the role because I'm a really good actor? I hope I'm competent. But it's going to come down to uh, we have a teacher with dark hair and your hair cutting glasses. Uh, we don't want you know. what I mean, it's not going to be yeah. because I, I'm, I'm. And and you have to learn that for anybody out there that wants to go in the show business, you have to learn. You have to have a, what they call a thick skin. You may not get a role, not because you're not talented or not because you're, you're it's just because you might not look or sound like what the director or producer has in their mind for that character. But if you keep going to auditions, you're going to get enough roles to, to survive and, and hopefully do do well. So there's a there's a little piece of uh, there you know, go, sucker barrel advice <laughs> for you, you young actors out there. There's so the old timers. So, yeah, we, we looked up the show. That Shatner is on. And what's it called, Haley? You know, now I forget it. I oh, better, <laughs> I'm sorry. Better it, late than never. Better, better late, late than, than never. never. Oh, better late. Well, thank you for finding it now. It was better late than never that you found it. Jack. Thank you. Thanks. See, it's uh, very appropriate that we 
found in a delayed fashion. So anyway. So even back then, was there that sense of uh, community uh, in the fans themselves when they would come to the convention? Like I go to Vegas, this will be my fifth year going um, to STLV. And I go, I go because like, yeah, I want to see the actors and the panels and things, but I go more because I want to see everyone else that's coming that are my friends that I've made. So was there that sense of just, yeah, people were there to see the actors and everything, but were they also there because, hey, we might not see people that don't live close enough by that we can get together with? That, that's a, a very lovely question. And I have a, I have an equally lovely, I have, you're, you're welcome. I have an equally lovely answer to that. And it comes not from me or somebody from the cast or writing staff of, of Star Trek, but from a, somebody who became more than a, than a friend, uh, he became an idol. Uh, I'm a published author today because of this man. Uh, you might've heard of him. His name is Isaac Asimov. Uh, it's, the, it's the guy with the apple, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Isaac Newton. I know there's a difference. Thank you. No, that would be the wrong Isaac. Yeah, he he wrote he wrote the uh, I Robot trilogy, and mm-hmm. of course, you know, we, we a million, a two hundred or three hundred other books, right? From science to science fiction to children's books, and I once asked Isaac about some of the fans, and I don't want anyone to to take this wrong, but yeah, I do a lot of voice work because I haven't the gag in the, the, the business. It's not an original line. It, it's I have a perfect face for radio. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I there were other people that would come to the conventions that also had a perfect face for radio. Let's say and then maybe maybe, a, you know, we, we are so used to looking at, at People magazine and the magazines and the, the body types and, the, you know, the, the look, as we say, in the show business look of people and, and what what we think we're supposed to aspire to. And we don't all look like that. And in school, in (laughs) in school, right. Thank goodness. But in school, you know who that, that, you know, there was the the cheerleader group and then there was the jock group. And then there was the geek group that, that we were in these, these fans and, and uh, these fans were very often uh, fans of, of Spock. They would wear these buttons, which call, which would say, I grok Spock. Have you seen that? Okay, uh, I've seen that, is, and yeah, please explain what grok means for the some yes. of your listeners. Grok, grok is not a made up. I thought it was a made up word till I looked it up. It it means have a uh, an affinity for someone, a care to care about somebody. Mm. It's actually a real word. You can look up look up grok. Uh, hell yeah, if you can while we're we're on. Yes. And so so they made these buttons. I grok Spock, and I asked Doctor Asimov. I said Isaac, I said why why are these these you know outcasts i'm sure we used other words back then but we have to be so politically correct i, I don't want outsiders be would probably be the best Outsi- way to put it but outsiders. i follow you yeah i right. follow you right outsiders that's a that's good these these outsiders of uh, like spock and isaac dr asimov said it's because they related to him because he was an outsider he came from another planet he had the greenish skin, which, by the way, you could never see on television at all <laughs> right. back then. Yeah, I mean, they were just the TV didn't reproduce. You can see it in the HD remasters now, but definitely that kind of stuff was lost for years. And it was lost. It was lost. It was so ways. light. Yeah, the color was so light you couldn't see it. But he was an outcast. Had pointed ears, and he, you know, from another planet. You know, his his uh, physiognomy was different. His heart is, I believe, right over here. 
you know, the fact that my body differs from yours, doctor, pleases me no end, you know, that kind of thing. And (laughs) I always liked the way he said, he said no end, not to no end. He would do things like that with the lines to, to make them his own. And, and because of that, they related to Spock because he was accepted as an equal in that group. And at Star Trek conventions, so were they, or in the case of when I was a fan, so was I. And yeah, these people became my friends and these were neat people to see and, and meet with at each time. But I had only gone, Haley, unfortunately, fortunately, I guess, to only a couple of conventions before I actually got elevated to be the host. So I, I then got taken out of fandom and, and was, was put in a different position. But there were a number of fans who we got to see every time who I just could not wait to see. And and these were not celebrities. One was a school teacher. Uh, his name was Bill Hickey. And, and God bless him. He passed away. I wish he was still with us because I wanted to help talk to him about uh, this book I'm writing about Star Trek, about those days. And these people were were close to us and they weren't, they were just super fans, I guess is the best way to say. He was actually in Star Trek, the motion picture, because he got very friendly with George Takei and George got him a bit part in the, uh, in the recreation deck scene that I was in also. So yeah, it was to answer your question in a, in a long way, Haley. Yeah. It was great to go to the conventions and see my friends. And that doesn't mean the cast. That means those people that had the same love of science fiction and particularly Star Trek as, as I did. Absolutely, man. Because you can you could go to these conventions time and time again and hear the same stories from the celebrities, and you know what you know, Jonathan Frakes going to say. And it's, it's great, right? But you're like, oh, okay, I've heard this one. I've seen the DVDs now, right? Uh, there's a big line. There's kind of, there's a certain separation now with how you know corporate it's gotten, honestly. So like, they're not. And yes, there are some actors that will come hang out at the bars and stuff, and it's great. You know, in Las Vegas, you don't know who you're going to run into in the elevator or down at the bar or, or wherever, right? But most of the time, you know, the, especially the bigger names, you know, they they keep to their own. And I understand why especially in this day and age right but th- there's a certain kind of purity to, to like just hanging out with your friends talking to star trek in situations you you wouldn't have before because yeah we talk over podcasts and it's a lot of fun but just just being together there's a whole another uh, layer to that and that is that is what keeps you coming back year after year for the people and the experiences I, around the main events i completely agree and i met a fan just recently i, I did some local convention here in new jersey and which is a small thing called fan nation and one of the fans uh, asked me a question, had I ever seen the blooper reel? And I said, I said, yes. And he, of course, had seen it on, on YouTube. There's, I think, three blooper reels. I'm sure you've seen them all. And the thing that's different about watching on YouTube is just what you were talking about. When I went to the convention, I was in a room with 300 fans and a big movie screen and we were all watching those bloopers and enjoying them and laughing together about something that we had a connection with. And you can't do that at home watching it on YouTube. And I told him, I said, they're funny when you watch it at home on YouTube. There was nothing like seeing it with a Star Trek fan sitting next to you on either side and behind you and in front of you. And all knowing that we all got the gags because mm-hmm. we understand this show so, so intimate. I, I yeah, even even when Next Generation came out on Blu-ray, they had some Fathom event screenings, and I make sure I went to all three of those, and it was quite an experience because you it's different than when you go like see a new movie, like you're going to see Star Trek Beyond, right? But people aren't familiar yeah, with it, yeah. you know, it's new, it's fresh. But when you're watching an old episode of Next Gen on the big screen, people are like, 
especially data, right? Early seasons data, great some great laughs, and it was just a great experience. Just to to, to it, you're right, it's just a totally different feeling when you're when you're experiencing with other people who are who are feeling and on the same wavelength that you are uh, processing this stuff and experience it together. So yeah, that, that's what it's all about, man. You, I'm sure that I can't do the whole speech. There's a Kirk speech where you can feel the wind at your back. I think I think Jason Alexander does the whole thing. But yeah, you could feel you could feel that energy even without without talking to anybody around you. There was some universal connection between you sitting in that room uh, that you don't get sitting in any other movie theater anywhere else. For sure. For sure. So when your time at the convention, was there any particular cast members you like really became close to over the years? Well, I think you could tell from the accent that I did, it's Mr. Mr. Scott. That, that is a great Scott, Scotty, by the way. Like I hear a lot of people try to do Scotty. That is a spot on Scotty. I, thank you. I, I have been told, and, and this is no no diss to uh to Chris doing that that I do a better Jimmy than, than him. It might it, <laughs> and it is not that he's not a good actor. My, my pipes, my voice box, you know, are different than his. And I think just where, where mine are, where uh, there are similar length or thickness as, as doings. And I could, I can get that voice just a little bit differently than, than him. But uh, thank you so much for that. I, I've gotten great kudos um, for that. I think it's kudos is the pronunciation. If you look it up, <laughs> uh, but I got friendly with Jimmy and, it's like so weird when I say stuff like that. I, I talk about Jimmy. You know, people go, yeah. oh, you mean James Doohan. You know, Mr. Well, Doohan. Doohan. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Doohan. You know, it, when I was first going to meet him, I was in college. And I was already going to be the, the host of that first convention. And I was so excited to meet him because he was my favorite character, maybe because he was so colorful. And, and I loved him. And I wanted to impress him when I met him. So I would practice in my dorm room. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Scott. Good to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, Scotty. How are you, sir? And I, I kept practicing the voice and, and doing it, and the convention is getting closer and closer. And one night I'm studying for an exam. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I go to the, you know, to the, to the, to the boys' washroom, and it, it, it's empty. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. There's no one there. Uh, I'm sitting in a stall. Uh, there's tile walls and a tile floor. You can't ask for better acoustics than that. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, nice to meet you, sir. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Scott. Good to meet you, sir. And at that moment, I noticed the door had opened and I didn't hear it. There were two two feet standing by the sink and they were slippers. And, and thank, I, I knew they were my, not my roommate, but my friend from across the hall, Lee. And he said, he said, Stevie, he said, I hope that's you in there. Or else <laughs> Scotty has, if it's not you, then Scotty has beamed down to our crapper. And at that, at that moment, I knew I had the voice down. So a week later goes by, two weeks, I'm at the convention. I check into the hotel. They bring me to the special meet and greet with the, uh, the cast and the, the people that are going to be on the, on the program. And, and James, James Doohan, uh, James Doohan is uh, sitting. Okay. So Jimmy is sitting in the, uh, in the t- holding court in a, in a cushy kind of hotel, you know, mm-hmm. lounge chair. And people are coming over and they're introducing people to him. And it's my turn. And he goes, Steve, uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy, I want you to meet the, the host of the convention. This is Stephen Lance. And he goes, pleased to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, Mr. Doohan. And he goes, hi, Steve. Nice to meet you. And he's like, what? What? <laughs> she, uh, 
I had complete egg on my face. My whole life is a lie. Yes. Like, I, I, you mean, you mean, you don't talk like that? I I had no idea. I had never seen him speak other than on this show. Right. So he, he kind of liked that. And we became friends and we would hang out during breaks and talking and then, uh, communicate when we weren't together at conventions and they were finally after how many years green lighted to do star trek the motion picture and i get a phone call from roddenberry's office that says uh, steve uh, we want to uh, we know you're an actor but it has nothing to do with your acting ability we want to say thank you to you and, and some of the some of the people who have helped keep star trek alive during the the period of time when the show was canceled and then till now, and, and you were instrumental in, in doing that. And we'd like to give you a part in the film. And I said, that's great. Thank you. And I got the details that I needed to, to, to do the part. And I uh, was so excited. I, I didn't know who to call. So I called Jimmy and I, and then he picks up the phone, California, and three hours different. And I'm so excited. I think it's, it was like late when I called and, and I said, uh, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the story. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> so I go, this doesn't even matter. There's no, there's no time zone uh, joke. So I go, so I go, Jimmy, Jimmy, guess what? Um, they just called me from Paramount, and I- I'm going to be in the film. He says, well, that's great, Steve. I said, well, thanks. I said, where, where are you going to stay? And, and by the way, th- that's as good as I can get to doing the real Jim. The real Jimmy, yeah. I, don't, I can't, <laughs> I can't, you know. So I probably could if I if I heard him and worked on it, but I, I don't do the real Jim doing voice because who, who would do it? Who would know? So I'm I'm talking to Jim doing on the phone, and I said, well, I don't know. I'm from Freehold, New Jersey. I guess I'm going to stay at a hotel near the studio, right? And he said, No, you're not. Maybe it's funnier if I do Jimmy's voice. No, you're not. What do, what do you mean? He says, You send me your itinerary, and I'll pick you up at the airport. And you're going to stay with me and Wendy and the boys, Wendy's his wife. So I actually not only got to have a small part in, in Star Trek, the motion picture, but I actually lived with James Doohan or Jimmy or James Doohan, however you say it, uh, for an entire week in California with him and his family. And people, when I sometimes tell them that before a, a pre-interview, we didn't uh, – I guess we may have mentioned it when we talked earlier, but uh, sometimes I want to talk about what it was like to be on the set and go through the makeup, which we haven't even talked about yet. But, and, 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 and all they go, you live with, with Scotty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on the set one day, wait, wait, wait you live with Scotty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> when we were in makeup and, and like, I, I want to talk about the making of the film and, and they're, you know, enamored with the fact that I got to live with Jimmy. But let me tell you something. If I came to, you're located in uh, Texas, correct? That's if correct, I yeah. came, if I, if I, I have a, an uncle, by the way, who's an animator, he was the producer of Rocky and Bowenkle, who lives in Texas and, and he's got a small place. So if I came to Texas and I called you up and said, Zach, listen, I'm coming to Texas, you know, you know, oh, Steve, why don't you stay with us and the family while you're here? All right. You're my friend. Not that you're a celebrity that you host, you know, Trek FM, we're friends. And that was the way it was. So I wasn't like enamored that I was being asked to stay at Scotty's house. He was my friend, just like you're mm-hmm. my friend. And, 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 um, you, you have been and always shall be, um, never mind. So, um, <laughs> and what, what's that, what, what the hell is that been all about? You know, he was just pushing it too far. You yes. have been, you have been, you, you mean like, you mean like, like, uh, chickpeas? No, no, no. Bean. You have been. What do you mean? What do you mean? Bean. 
Like Mr. Bean? No, no. You have Bean. It always shall be. No, no. What, what about Bean? Never mind. <laughs> the whole conversation that I have in my head with with Leonard, uh, right. I never did call him on. I never did call him on it. But you know, it was. You mean Mr. <laughs> Nimoy? <laughs> Mr. I'm oh, sorry, Mr. Nimoy. Nimoy. Little <laughs> Nimoy. Uh, who, who, by the way, was just yeah. We it, it, also a, a terrific gentleman, so talented, and uh, very laid back when I when I met him. Uh, he was very gracious, I guess is the best way to to say it. And uh, we'll talk about something in a, in a bit about the Garden State Film Festival. But mm-hmm. I actually got the host. I got the host for the first East Coast showing for Love of Spock because of my association with with Star Trek, oh, and that's because I actually because I actually knew Leonard was able to tell a couple of you know asides, a couple of stories, and they're all nice. I have nothing nothing ever bad to say about them, but. Um, so I, I got to stay with Jimmy doing and So you family. live with Scotty. And... <laughs> <laughs> that that's amazing. Exactly. That really shows that really shows the, what yeah. what a great guy he is to just offer that to yeah. you. You know, just hey, I'll pick you up from the airport. Was, I mean, come on, that's amazing. Yeah, he he picked me up in the airport in in his car, and 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 his kids were in the car. Chris, as a kid, I mean, I'm older than Chris, and Chris was there, and and Monty was there, and it's like they were my friends, and I stayed at the house and. People think I used to think this as a kid, and I bet you guys did too. That when you see a movie, everybody in the movie knows each other and are good friends with each other, and that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> For one part, they might not even work in scenes together and never be on the set the same day and never even see each other. The other thing is they don't all click. Not that they don't like each other, just you know they don't have nothing in common and they don't become friends. But some of them do, and. As you know, uh, Shatner and, and Nimoy, you know, got got together and became friends. They were so close. But but also, uh, Jimmy was very dear friends with Grace Gracie Grace Lee Whitney and and Jack Dale, her her husband, and they were just wonderful people. I I miss her so much. I was actually getting ready to call her to tell her I'm working on this book and I wanted to talk to her, and she passed away before I had made the phone call. And it's, it's, somebody said, the longer you live, everybody, you know, will die. And, and I, I hate that saying, but, uh, she was such a special lady and we actually went over her house once for dinner. I mean, we went out for dinner. Wendy would cook. Wendy's a Jimmy Dillon's wife. You probably know her from the, from the TV commercial, the car commercial with the remote control for the garage door opener. You remember that Jim, James Dillon did a commercial for a, a car or something. And he, and, and he says, no, give but- it more power. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that was, was his Wendy. wife yeah, in there. Okay, that was, that was that was that's Wendy, and and she she was just lovely. And uh, so we went over to Grace and Jack's house and had uh, I think spaghetti and meatballs. And let me tell you, uh, Grace Lee Whitney Yeoman Rand uh, turns a pretty mean meatball. It was just it was it was the best meatballs and spaghetti I have ever had. And I don't know if that means they really were the most delicious I've ever had, or was it because it was at Gracie's house, or maybe a combination of the two. But I'll never. Never ever taste a meatball. It has been and, and ever shall be your favorite spaghetti and meatballs. That, you know, let me write this. Wait, let me write that down. Uh, has been and uh, never mind. B e a n bean. Oh no, there were no beans in the meatball. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. I know you're going to be doing this on your show. It's okay. You can have it. You can have it. You can. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll send you a quarter so, yeah, every so time I, I use it. Uh, yeah, great, great. Like, so yes, I stayed with the doings, and and he was just great. Uh, by the way, there was a caveat uh, to this day. Jimmy also, as you know, did conventions, and people would constantly ask him the same questions, just like you said. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you'd hear the same stuff. So he right. wanted snappy, he wanted snappy answers to his questions. So he said, if you come and stay with us, you have to pay. I said, you mean pay to, to, to deliver to you, Jim? He says, no, what you have to do is I'm going to give you a, a list of questions. And there's like, I don't know, a hundred questions that, yes. that he had collected from conventions. And <laughs> I, I can want just you to imagine him writing these down and collecting them over the years. Yeah, That's because awesome. they just kept coming up and, and they got in his craw. Craw? Right. No, Mr. Smart. Craw. No, everyone. He, so he, he uh, let's get smart. So he, he, uh, he wrote them down and I wrote funny answers to those questions. Uh, not with him. You know, we talked a little bit about it, but he actually took them back with me and, and, and wrote them. And then he used those answers. So some of the, some of the snappy repartee that the, that Jimmy used for the same stupid question over and over. Was, Isn't that, and uh, that's, that's, that's like the dark side of conventions, I will say. You know, whenever you open up for audience questions, and I don't, was it, I guess it was like this, I, I, in the, even back then, it's, it's, it's funny to me it's, it, that this is prevalent throughout all of Star Trek convention history, but people, they ask like, what's your favorite episode? And you know, uh, that line you said, and like, what happens when you go to warp 13? It's like, come on people, like have some, just have some common sense when you ask these actors, these questions. So I just, that, that's funny. Well, well Shatner, yeah, Shatner, yeah, Shatner did it best when he did that Saturday night live. That was the get a life routine. Yeah. That was probably the most embarrassing Saturday night live episode that I've ever seen in my life. Not because of Bill, but because of Kevin Nealon, who mm-hmm. played me. And was they, that, they, the guy that brings they, him out. <laughs> yeah. And they called me ahead of time, said, listen, we're going to poke a little fun at you. Kevin Nealon's going to kind of do the host. You're going to, you know, we, we, we didn't give him, I had a mustache back then. We didn't put a mustache on him, but mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, and so they actually called to just tell me like, you know, it's in good fun. It was, they were really nice. I knew somebody at, at SNL back then, back mm-hmm. then, by the way, it wasn't called SNL. It was actually called Saturday night live back then. Oh, is that, and, is that uh, what that stands for? I wasn't aware. Yeah. That's what that's, <laughs> yeah, by the way, and the F in Kentucky, in KFC is fried, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Dropping all kinds of knowledge. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so, so Kevin Nealon was the host, and he came out with pointed ears. I mean, I used to do that kind of stuff. Right. They, people would bring me the pointed ears, and I'd put the goofy pointed ears on, you know, the ones that cover your whole ear, and they're giant. You yeah, know, or yeah the, like elf ears, bring, basically, bring, yeah. <laughs> Right. They'd bring me, you know, shirts to wear and I, I would change on stage. And, you know, that that's just whatever you had to do to entertain the crowd. And uh, so, so that was that was the Saturday Night Live uh, get a life routine. And at conventions, real questions that I recall, one, uh, some little kid who couldn't even separate Shatner from Kirk. You know, he might have been 10 years old and said, Mr. Kirk Shatner, uh, when you. Where where's the bathrooms on the Enterprise? I, I still remember the question. And, and Bill thought for a moment and said, "You know that big chair I sit in?" And like everybody, the kid didn't get it. It was like a potty seat, like a potty seat, you know. And that was Bill's answer. And he might have gotten asked that at other conventions and used the same answer. I don't know. I'd never heard it come up again, but I'm, I'm sure it did. They were asking goofy questions on that Saturday Night Live routine, and he'd right. say, "Have you ever kissed a girl? You're 30 yeah. years old. Have you ever kissed a girl? How old are you?" You know, and 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 but those same questions came up at one of the conventions, and I don't even remember if this is a convention or or the line from the show. That's how real it was to me. <laughs> it, it, somebody asked him, you know, the combination on your safe. Do you know the combination? He said, "Oh no, no, what's the combination on the safe?" I think that's what they asked him on SNL at our mm. convention. They asked him what a star date was. This is before, before. We were, you know, whoever was brilliant enough to figure out what star dates are and relate them to real dates. Right. Uh, 
every every year I do it. I tweet and people can find me, by the way. It's easy at Stephen Lance on Twitter. And every year I, I do a, a New Year's tweet and and have a Starship Enterprise somewhere like in New York City or Times Square. And I always have the star date on there because a friend of mine can calculate it based on some 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 formula that now exists. And but when the kid asked when kid asked the question, you know, Mr. Kirk Shatner, what's a star date? And Bill said, you mean like one oh five point seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? He said, well, those are just numbers, kid. <laughs> it's just a TV show. <laughs> it's just, it's just that's get a life. All right. Well, that is a lot of Star Trek talk, isn't it, Haley? It definitely was. It was really fun. <laughs> and so we had so much fun that we're going to put a pin in it, and we'll be back next week with part two of Steve Lance. So stay tuned, guys. It's going to be even more insight into his his time with the Star Trek universe and with the Star Trek family. A great conversation. We look forward to sharing the next half with you next week on Standard Orbit. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. DS9's second visit to the Mirror Universe wasn't simply that, hey, that was fun. We did that in Season 2. Why don't we do that again? Let's go to the Mirror Universe. Let's just make it a thing. It was... Let's go back and find out what were the consequences of that first crossover, and then let's build upon that. And that, again, is one of the things that I think the DS9 writers do so well that we don't always see on other series. Earl Grey. I want to start with something a little bit different. The first thing I want to start with is to go around and ask everybody something that they love about Nemesis. So, Zach, you want to start? Sure. I know it's a ch- it maybe a challenge. That was a pregnant but... pause. <laughs> I, I, I hope he doesn't say the credits. Oh no no no! <laughs> Literary treks. To me, and and I kind of thought this more as we got further into the book. It really felt like a narrative computer game almost, where you find all these clues and you visit these rooms, and then you have to visit the rooms again and all that. And we'll get into the main plot of what what they do later in the book, but. Yeah, this setup. I love the mystery. I'm really enjoying, like, what's going on? What's What happened here? The 602 Club. You know, what's really interesting is I have shown this to my kids. I, this is the one I held on to. This is like Revenge of the Sith, where I was like, I, you got to get to a certain... I, I got to, you know, I, I got to know you're going to be able to, you know, sort of like hang on to this and not, uh, you know go too far with it and and get freaked out and stuff and what's so fascinating and I think back to when I was a kid and I saw this that the heart scene you know the the famous mole rom taking the heart out scene that was fascinating and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm contact. And look in the sidebar on the show page. 
or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you, as always, to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. Norman C. Lau, Nicholas Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. Thank you so much, guys. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-C-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville, with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, <laughs> and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.